Um, Sean, the biggest question we have is how do you pronounce your last name? I saw that. I was curious as to what that meant. Um, Ahern is Ahern. the proper pronunciation, but oh, it's I, tough to say. I was, so way, I, I, I was way, I said a adherin. Welcome back to another episode of Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elcherson. Adam, my co-host, is here. Uh, and we have a very special announcement to start off this week's episode. Drum roll, please. Uh, so this week, Floor 9 was named Adweek's Thought Leadership Podcast of the Year. Um, so big congratulations to your team. Uh, that's, that is uh, super, super exciting. Yeah, congratulations to, uh, to you and to uh, our silent producer, Richard, behind the scenes. Yes, I, I want to say I want to take a moment to thank both of you, Adam, for uh, riding shotgun with me for these past three and a half years, uh, and you know, really being the best co-host I think in the in the game personally. And then to Richard, who's the mastermind behind the scenes, staying up late with me, helping me edit, uh, and making the best possible episodes. So uh, thank you both because the show wouldn't be what it is without the two of you uh, helping support it. And uh, listeners, if you want to help celebrate. Uh, we're kindly asking you to leave us some reviews on Apple Podcasts. Uh, this really helps grow our show, helps us get reached by Apple, uh, and you know, it, it just kind of is a proof point for other listeners out there that are looking to maybe tap into the show. So if you have five minutes, uh, whenever you can, please give us some reviews on Apple Podcasts. We greatly appreciate that. So yeah, anything else to say now that we're award-winning podcast producers and co-hosts and editors? <laughs> You're going to mention that every week, aren't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was super exciting. And again, thank you everyone for uh, being a listener and uh, tuning in every week. With that, Adam, uh, let's do what we do best. Let's dive into this week's news. Yeah, the, the news was not as exciting as that, but we'll. That's we'll, true. You know, there, there's still some stuff to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so some some small things, but that was that was the big header of the week. Um, so first up, we have some news from Facebook. Facebook is rolling out a free cloud-based gaming service offering smaller free-to-play games. So the service allows users to instantly play full mobile-quality games within Facebook without having to download them from an app store. You know, similar to App Clips, well, what they can do for games. And although it's cloud-based gaming service, Facebook isn't targeting Stadia or xCloud or Luna or any of the other uh, big cloud-based services that are out there today. Yeah, I think the um, calling it cloud-based is technically the correct thing to do because that's what it's doing. Okay. It's streaming games from the cloud. But I think it 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 immediately makes people think about things like xCloud or Stadia or Luna, which is not right. at all what this is. This is really designed to integrate with Facebook's app install ads, which are a major source of, mm. uh, of installs for, for games. Um, and it allows you to preview the game right there in Facebook uh, before you actually click through to the app store to buy it or to download it and, you know, presumably, uh, you know, earn some, uh, purchase some in-app purchases for, uh, for in-game content. So it's really, uh, I think, best thought of as an extension to their ad products that allows sampling mm -hmm. directly in the feed. And that, I think, is going to be very successful. I think the game makers who rely on those app install ads are going to flock to this. Um, and I think it is it is similar to, um, as you said, to to app clips, um, but being able to preview those apps directly in in the feed, I think, is a huge um, advantage for for uh, you know again for app and apps that rely on on ads for installs. 
Absolutely. And I think to our previous episodes, we've talked about just how big the mobile gaming audience really is, especially globally. Uh, So it seems like they're really focusing on that uh, market and seeing the potential of just, you know, how big that is going to be growing over the next couple of years. So um, makes a lot of sense. Um, Similar in the social space, uh, but looking at something a bit different here. TikTok is partnering with Shopify on social commerce. So TikTok is really making a bunch of different plays when it comes to social commerce, whether it's Walmart, now it's Shopify. But this partnership with uh, Shopify allows uh, different Shopify merchants to create, run, and optimize their TikTok marketing campaigns directly through their Shopify dashboard. Uh, And all you have to do essentially is install the TikTok channel app from the Shopify app store. So a super easy integration. uh, And I I love this. Um, You know, I think a lot of the brands that are on Shopify are the ones that are big into influence we know that they've done a deal with Dovetail for that same sort of marketing campaign. Uh, so Shopify is really providing a lot of easy turnkey infrastructure and marketing tools for small businesses and really making everything yeah. super simple just to kind of go through like their, like their one-stop shop on Shopify. I love it. Yeah. Um, again, I think this is, again, something that ties into TikTok's ad platform, if not directly yet. It's, you know, we know that on Instagram, the, a lot of advertisers on Instagram are those smaller independent businesses, are those Shopify customers. And, you know, Shopify has been working with Instagram for a long time. They are almost always the sort of first ones in the door with these uh, social commerce programs these days. Um, and this is just giving those Shopify business owners a new place to uh, integrate their their stores. And, a new, you know, obviously, one of the most sort of uh, hottest and, and, and fastest growing social mm-hmm. platforms. So, um, Super excited to to see what's what's kind of small business content we see coming out of uh, out of this deal. Yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be buying a lot more things. I've been buying a lot of t-shirts recently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just gonna keep I, buying them. You know, it's so easy with the shop pair, the Apple Pay. It's like boom, it's just all registered. It's fantastic. Uh, it's just too easy. So I feel like besides from buying more things, we gotta start selling things out. And we said this like four months ago. We gotta start slinging coffee or something. We need our own brand to really be a part of this uh, trend that's that's going on. <laughs> But next up, we have some news from DoorDash. DoorDash will be investing in a spinoff restaurant of Oakland's Burma Superstar uh, that is due to open on October 28th. Uh, and why we find this so interesting is it seems like DoorDash is really taking the Zillow approach and going down the chain here and actually investing in their product. Uh, before, they were more of a marketplace that was just connecting food and delivery drivers together to make delivery happen. But now, uh, you know, if you look at DoorDash, if there are no restaurants around, they don't have a business. So now they're actually starting to invest in their product or in the businesses themselves uh, and kind of further kind of integrating the delivery and the restaurant together, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, um, I love this uh, as an integration play as you know, sort of integrating further down the value chain. I I think that uh, in the long run, this might uh, raise questions around <laughs> impartiality. If you're a competitor in the area around Oakland uh, with uh, Burma Superstar, are you suddenly going to be, you know, deprioritized in the search and things like that? It's all the questions that we have around Amazon selling their own products on on Amazon.com could, you know, suddenly show up in the in the delivery aggregators as well. But, uh, you know, again, I think this is a little different to your point. At a time when restaurants are struggling, um, this might give some restaurants uh, a reprieve. Um, and I think even even more than that, it, looking forward to uh, the future of ghost kitchens, this is not strictly going to be a ghost kitchen, but you can imagine at some point that uh, companies like DoorDash uh, or like Grubhub might, or, or Uber Eats, might start to... Um, 
rather than invest directly, might start to uh, provide the tools to support things like ghost kitchens that really help uh, help their platforms. Uh, and I think that that uh, is something that we haven't seen yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if we uh, you know saw acquisitions and, and offerings of, of products like that in the future. Yeah. Lastly, we are seeing the addition of avatars to uh, two notable apps uh, this week. One of them is Giphy, which maybe makes a little bit of sense. Giphy being very embedded in that digital culture uh, and in and, and what's happening, being very online, um, let's say. Uh, and But the other one is Gucci, which I think is very interesting, a luxury goods brand uh, moving into the avatar space, um, adding, you know, avatars that are customizable and uh, skinnable inside of their app, which uh, presumably will have skins that are custom to the Gucci app as well. So uh, I think, you know, we talk a lot about what's happening in digital goods and digital marketplaces. Uh, as of at least as of right now, they're not going to be charging for any anything in, in these apps uh, for any of the custom skins that are going to be available. But uh, I think this is an interesting step in that direction. Um, and you can imagine that, that Gucci might be prepping for a rollout of something that is a little more full featured and, and the presence of Gucci digital goods inside of other apps in the future. And Adam, I think one thing is to note about this ecosystem currently is that it is very fragmented. So there are some environments where um, you have a Facebook that is looking to build out some sort of marketplace and then other environments like a like a Giphy, while it is owned by Facebook, is more of like a third party that has access to environments that are outside of a walled garden like Facebook. Um, we're just trying to figure out this challenge of like where can people buy the products and then where can like they show them off? Because you're definitely going to want to be in an environment where if you buy a digital good, you don't want it just to be locked into like a Facebook. You want it to be able to be distributed no matter where you have your audience or your content. Yeah. And this is something that I think a few folks are sort of lining up to try to be those providers. Snapchat certainly is in this game as well with Bitmoji. Mm -hmm. um, Bitmoji have long since expanded beyond just the sort of 2D stickers uh, into 3D right. avatars. And uh, recently, one of the Announcements that they had uh, this uh, past spring when they when they did their developers conference was uh, that you would be able to use those 3D avatars inside your own games and apps um, outside of the Snapchat mm -hmm. platform. So they're making similar expansions. Um, and but yeah, I think this this idea of being right now, if you're let's say Gucci and you're rolling out digital versions of your clothes for avatars, you sort of have to pick an ecosystem, um, or you know, right. alternatively, you have to invest more and be part of all of the major ecosystems, uh, because I right. think that uh, you know, right now it is pretty fragmented. Eventually, uh, we know that as part of the sort of development of the metaverse, eventually we will need some interoperability between those platforms so that you can take a, a digital good from one to another, um, and that you're your mm -hmm. avatar can be wearing Gucci in Fortnite, but also in uh, in Snapchat. Uh, and eventually we'll get right. there. But uh, it's it's still early days for all of this. I think the last bit of uh, context here is that uh, Gucci and Giphy will be are working with a company called Genies, uh, which is essentially a Bitmoji competitor where you're able to customize and create your own digital avatars. Uh, so if anybody's looking for that company, you can go check them out. That is going to wrap up the news portion of this week's episode. And before we dive into the main conversation, I just want to restate, uh, if you have one or two minutes, uh, go give us a review on Apple Podcasts. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, and again, thank you to all of our listeners that have been listening for all these years. We greatly appreciate it. So with that, uh, Adam, let's go talk to Sean Ahern from the IPG Media Lab all about technology's impact on mental health. Let's go talk to Sean. Sean. 
Listeners, welcome to the main discussion of this week's episode. Uh, we have with us today Sean Ahern, the Senior Manager of Client Services here at the IPG Media Lab, uh, discuss his recent piece about technology's impact on mental health. Uh, so if you haven't checked that out yet, you can find a, a link in our show notes uh, to the full article on our website. But Sean, welcome to Floor 9. Thanks for having me, guys. And uh, a congratulations to to you all here at the the Floor Nine team for your <laughs> recent awards. Congrats on the uh, Adweek's Thought Leadership Podcast. It's awesome. Well, thank you, Sean. We uh, greatly appreciate that. Uh, and for everybody else out there, keep the kudos coming. We we love it. Um, but Sean, this is your first time on the pod, so we're super excited to have you here. Uh, how about we just start with some background uh, on yourself? You know, what do you do at the lab, so our listeners can kind of get to know you a little bit. Sure. Well, first, this is actually technically my second time on the podcast, making a quick cameo in the uh, 2020 CES wrap up. That is true. But true. This is the first. uh, Yeah, this is the first. Definitely the first uh, serious one. Um, (laughs) But yeah, as you mentioned, uh, I'm the senior manager client service at the IPG uh, Media Lab. So day to day, I wear a lot of different hats from account management for some of the, the portfolio um, of lab clients to to just various project management of programs that we do in and outside of the lab. Um, so it's a very you know utility player, utility role, and I'm, I'm involved in quite a lot here. Um, and as you all know, I sort of transitioned to the lab in an interesting time in early March after spending five years on the human resources side mm-hmm. within our company. And it's been a very interesting time of year for a career transition. Um, as everything basically went remote on day one, but it's also been <laughs> one of the most fascinating times uh, to be at the lab. And as we've watched and have been able to direct our focus on all the amazing innovations and changes that are that are happening this year. Um, so it's a bit about me. Fantastic. Well, Sean, we're not we're excited to have you on the episode this week, but also as a team member. Um, and with that, let's just dive right into the article that you recently published, uh, all about technology's impact on on mental health. And so, just to kind of kick this off, when we look pre-pandemic, what was the narrative like? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting question. I think you know, in terms of technology and the coverage that it's received from the psychological sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of negative associations with technology and, and how it impacts mental health. Um, those who are, you know, return listeners and are familiar with the lab, you know, we discuss a lot about the age of anxiety, um, which is more of that ever-growing mental exhaustion that's born out of the always-on connected culture. We talk about ambient computing and how we're finding ourselves increasingly tracked, behaviors monitored, privacy limited. So a lot of these things, just by the nature of how they sound, don't sound very good, right? <laughs> yeah, um, it sounds a little spooky. Halloween's still a week yeah, away, Sean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. So, but um, so many of these anxiety-inducing trends were already in full swing, right before before COVID lockdowns. But since the onset of the pandemic and quarantine, we've ironically become more connected than ever to these digital tools that we've been using, and. You know, by the way, this is to make no mention of the other challenges we're facing from a, a stress and depression and anxiety perspective mm-hmm. here in the U.S. With this being, you know, polarizing election year, uh, a year with a lot of social justice change, et cetera. So, what I was trying to do is trying to take take a step back, look at how these digital behaviors have changed, and evaluate the impact on our mental well being, mm-hmm. and also explore. You know, what are some of those innovations that are taking place within the mental health space? Because while there has been a lot of negative association 
there there's potentially a lot of good that's coming out of these technologies as mm-hmm. well now in this particular time period. Um, knowing that social media and technology is a big part of what we do day to day, it seems like essentially once that uh, pandemic kicked off, like while we were trying to maybe get away from our screens, it also became the only, the only place where, where we were spending our time. <laughs> it seemed like right. everything just became more and more uh, exacerbated. And I think part of that, in, and you mentioned this in your article, is, is this idea about like information overload. So what like what started to happen when we when when this pandemic kicked off about like how we were consuming content, uh, and you notably called it a infodemic, right? So yeah, I, I think one of the big trends that that I focused on in this article was was to your point this information overload, and particularly how this connects to social media, mm-hmm. and, um, because that seems to be a, a very big resource nowadays for for how we're consuming information and alerts, right? So during COVID people understandably have been leaning more into social media, um, not just social media, but news alerts and general television as, as key resources of information. You know, we're trying to figure out and understand what's going on in the world um, from our shelter in place and, and in, in isolation. So, um, and if you're looking at some of the statistics, mm-hmm. uh, particularly as it relates to, to social media usage, during peak lockdown months of March through May, 46% to 51% of U.S. adults reported increased social media usage. And as we talked about earlier, that association between social media consumption and mental health is, is nothing new. It's been widely covered in psychological circles even prior to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Do a quick Google search for social <laughs> media and mental health. You're going to find a lot of scholarly articles there um, showing a, a connection. But in fact, it also, you know, this article was pretty serendipitous and as it was shortly followed up by the release of the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, a few days later, which which also gained a lot of notoriety. Understandably, like we've been consuming a lot more information now via social media. We've been had a lot more exposure. Uh, so one could surmise that, you know, increased usage of an already difficult problem is probably going to exacerbate that problem further. Mm-hmm. I mean, Adam, what are your, like, what are your thoughts on this? Um, you know, essentially like social media as is like double-edged sword. It's the place where we're trying to spend less time, but now like we're glued to our phones because it's the only place that we're getting updates and information about like what's going on in real time. Yeah. I mean, I think there are, Social media, I think we need to separate out into a few different categories of things. There's news content, which you can also obviously get from other places. Um, there is uh, entertainment and media content, which you can also get from other places. And then there's updates from your friends and family, which you can't really... Obviously, you could get those other places, right? We used to get them uh, you know, on the phone or, or hanging out in person. <laughs> but um, you know, increasingly, like you know, those happen online. And I think that... One key that we see is taking some of those jobs to be done of social media, like news uh, and like entertainment, and replacing them with things that are a little less addictive can maybe reduce the anxiety and, uh, you know, maybe even moving some of those that so those social connections out of social media and into things like private group texts uh, and and things like that. I think we've definitely seen a, a move in that direction, but I don't think social media is inherently damaging in that way. I think we can build and construct companies and platforms that that are designed to uh, support mental health and make people, you know, feel better about themselves and that are less addictive. I just think that um, 
partially because of a, a bunch of accidents of history, a lot of the platforms that we have today have ended up in this sort of addiction cycle. Uh, and I think that that is uh, something that a lot of folks are both inside those companies as well as, as you know, outside in the larger sort of startup ecosystem are looking at and looking for, for solutions. And I think that we'll get there eventually. I mean, to your point, like we've seen uh, Calm be a big uh, proponent of, um, you know, introducing ways in which people can like relax headspace, you know, like there's like wellness channels on TikTok, you know, like AMSR, like there's a lot of content that, are, that, that that's also on these platforms that probably falls more into like that entertainment category um, that is trying to help people relax and, you know, take a moment for themselves and, and breathe and get out of that like bubble of anxiety that is can happen when you're essentially just like doom scrolling on Twitter for, you know, an hour a day, whatever it might be. Well, let's, let's talk about that. I think, I think there's an interesting, you know, you mentioned Calm and Headspace and those are two meditation apps. There's obviously a bunch of others. Those, they have presences on social media, but their primary presence is outside of that sphere. And I think there is an increasing audience for, those kind of mental health and wellness apps, whether that be meditation or uh, things to improve your sleep. I think that increasingly there's going to be, you know, whether that's wearable devices or other kinds of feedback that we're getting from apps that we're using on our phone, there is an increasing sort of interest in managing those sort of stress levels and anxiety uh, throughout the day. And I think a lot of that, while, you know, they have presences on social media, mostly to remind you to do it um, in a place that you might be. Um, I think that there is sort of a growing ecosystem sort of outside of that, um, some of which is tied to, you know, again, wearable devices and other sort of biofeedback. So your point on the mental health apps, that's definitely an area that's growing and has been has surged this year. So if you look at um, particularly mindfulness apps like Calm and Headspace. Um, during the later weeks in March, downloads of those apps hit about 750,000, which is almost a, a quarter percentage or 25% increase since the start of 2020. So people were looking for these things um, and people are using them and downloading them. Um, and it's not necessarily just like mindfulness. There are other privately made apps for things like addiction, alcoholism, where people can track their sobriety. And there's just a whole um, ecosystem that's developing around this, tens of thousands of applications related to psychology, psychiatry, um, and, and mental wellness that people can tap into. Now, on the flip side of that coin, there's not really a lot of regulation or, or a, a certified board that's looking at these applications. So, you know, people who, who are utilizing them just be or, or looking into them just have to be mindful that it's it's um, what you're what you're getting into are, are not necessarily certified, approved by any sort of CDC or executive body. Um, but to your point, Adam, there are some other ones. These Snap, Snapchat launched here for you, which was a, an integrated tool in their platform that you know search based raised important tools and information around mental health. Similarly, Pinterest expanded their uh, compassionate search function, which raises exercises and strategies. So this is a this is definitely an area that's growing. It's interesting that we're making this delineation because I, I think oftentimes when people think about technology's impact on mental health, I think it's all bundled under this idea of social media. Like it all kind of comes under, it's like, oh, I'm doom scrolling on Twitter. I am going through like my Facebook feed. I'm in a, you know, a, a toxic group, like whatever it might be. I feel like it's, it, it is very heavily skewed towards that idea of 
social media is the issue versus to your point, like we're seeing all these different products that are being developed by many different companies, uh, leveraging the technology and the wearables that are out there today to actually help. And so it's, I think it's an interesting, just like dichotomy to understand. Uh, and maybe like that is just some like education that the space just needs is that there is a lot of positive that technology is bringing to kind of help solve these solutions. Cause at the end of the day, I, you know, I think even the, the social platforms, like their goal wasn't to cause disinformation or, you know, provide a, ne- a negative impact on a person's mental well-being. Like ideally they all wanted to bring a net good to uh, the world at large, but you know, as things grow, they're just essentially un- unintended consequences, uh, our favorite word or term of the year uh, that happens when, when these platforms grow and scale. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think social media sort of, you know, takes the biggest punch in this whole thing and is often criticized as the, the, the worst um, of, of what humanity has come to be in terms of digital ecosystems. But to your point, they also serve a greater purpose in connecting people too during this difficult time. So while we're all away in isolation, a lot of these programs have allowed for social interaction and, and fostering community as well. So we're looking at social media as a way to connect individuals. Uh, and what we've been seeing now is through video conferencing, like FaceTime or Zoom, like we're spending a lot of our time over video conferencing uh, as a way to kind of like connect virtually with individuals, but also uh, through 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 work, right? We spend a lot of our times on Teams calls, Zooms calls, whatever it might be. So when you look at, at these at video conferencing in general, like how are you viewing this, you know, as like a net good, as a net positive, you know, net negative to our mental health uh, more broadly? Yeah, totally. So as we've kind of already talked about, modern tech is often accused of creating a more isolated and individualized society, but we've now come to a point where because of these this physical distancing, these these video conferencing tools, these connective tools are our greatest means of, of maintaining relationships and, and speaking to others. So um, this, this might not be such a surprise, but prior to the pandemic, the U.S. was actually facing an epidemic of loneliness. We had uh, 79% of Gen Zers, 71% of Millennials, 65% of Gen X reported feeling lonely in 2019. And so under quarantine, reports of feeling lonely and disconnected have obviously you know, accelerated and understandably risen. And we know that these feelings of isolation and, and loneliness have detrimental impacts on, on physical and mental health. But a lot of these platforms now, we think about, you know, Microsoft Teams and Slack and Zoom and, and um, even going into some of the, um, you know, the virtual landscapes that now connect people via gaming. Like they're all allowing for greater connection and greater connectivity to maintain that uh, that connection with others, which is crucial to your, your mental well-being. Yeah, I think the gaming uh, piece is especially relevant. We've seen a huge uptick in during quarantine of uh, of, of people gaming. We've seen uh, you know a couple of big social, more casual games break out. First Fall Guys now among us, uh, sort of as, as as big, yeah, as 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 very popular. And I think part of that reason is because. Um, you know, very quickly, we all learned <laughs> in quarantine that you can only go to so many Zoom happy hours where you just stare at each other. No one's left the house in weeks, and so it doesn't have a whole lot of uh, stories to tell. Um, and <laughs> and you need something else to do. And people people pretty quickly realize that gaming, whether 
you're, you know, playing a, a board game or a card game over Zoom, or you're playing, you know, something like like Among Us is a great example because you're a lot of the game is about communication. It gives you something to do and a thing to where you can like hang out with your friends and do something without the pressure of feeling like you have to come up with a funny story or, you know, come up with even a topic to talk about when maybe not a lot is actually happening. Um, and, and, you know, you don't want to necessarily talk about stressful things like the pandemic and the election and stuff like that. So um, I think, you know, gaming has seen a huge, huge uptick. I think we've seen people come into the gaming landscape who maybe were much more casual gamers, maybe haven't played in a while, but have picked that up again. And and I think those behaviors are going to continue. Gaming as a social space is uh, is definitely going to be an important thing going forward. Absolutely. That's definitely a growing trend that we're seeing in the in the social sphere, uh, especially with those gaming apps uh, as this technology becomes, you know, uh, more important to how people are spending their time, you know, uh, in a social environment. Uh, but then on the more professional side of things, when we look at work, uh, obviously, this technology, again, has allowed us to work remotely uh, pretty efficiently, you know, whether that's through a Zoom call, a Teams call, you know, using Slack, like a lot of this technology has allowed us to essentially make all of our teams remote uh, and be productive uh, and continue on without having to be in the office. Right. So Scott, to your point, like these these platforms that we were using maybe part of the time, like Microsoft Teams and Zoom, you know, these these suddenly became our primary tools for communicating, which is an incredible resource. There, as you mentioned, there are unintended consequences, to use your word again, of, of elongating the workday or hampering hampering one's ability to disengage. So um, for instance, we know that Zoom reported a 700% increase in weekday evening meetings on its platform since February and 2000% increase in meetings on the weekend. And a lot of these transitions, of course, when you think about the weekend aren't just due to being online, but people are working longer and working hours that they might not have normally had. So we have this always on work culture that has been bred out of, out of the, uh, the accessibility of these tools that I think our culture has to sort of reevaluate and, and figure out how how we're going to address. Because um, while the technology is there and it's excellent and it allows us to connect and stay employed and do our work, um, it's also having an impact on our mental health. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the things that then I think is continuing to develop, you know, to help uh, be a solve for that is the things like telehealth. Yeah. Um, but this is also extended into telemental health now, right? Services that allow patients to connect with a licensed therapist or a psychiatrist via your mobile device or application or whatever. So this tech has obviously been crucial to delivering that care to very vulnerable populations during this isolation. Um, previously, only about 24% of U.S. health organizations had virtual care, Um Projections from Forrester estimate 1 billion virtual care visits this year alone. So it's definitely in the U.S. accelerated that adoption of telehealth during the pandemic. Um, A part of that has been a relaxing of restrictions around HIPAA, which has made this more HIPAA compliant, um, which was a pretty big obstacle. But the advantages to these services is that care providers are now able to reach their existing clients in difficult times, but they're also accessible to new patients who may have not sought that care otherwise. Either they're, they're self-conscious, it's a big hurdle to go in and actually talk to a licensed therapist or, or, or a psychiatrist, um, or it's too, ex- too expensive. So it's really allowed it to scale. And you see services like Talkspace, um, Empathy, and BetterHelp that are providing that much-needed lifeline um, as the world navigates this. 
So yes, absolutely. Mental health is has clearly made some of those same advantages, uh, same same leaps forward uh, in terms of telemedicine that we've seen from traditional healthcare as well. Um, one last thing that I think we should touch on uh, is something that we at the lab have been talking about for years, uh, but that is uh, seeing renewed interest as part of this focus on mental health and wellness is sleep and sleep technology. Um, and we, you know, we've seen a, a lot of investment in. Uh, sleep devices, whether that be wearables or connected mattresses and pillows, um, a lot of that coming from the, the wellness angle most recently is, has really been positioned as a mental health benefit, not just a physical health benefit, obviously sleeping more, uh, to, you know, sleeping, getting an adequate amount of sleep is important for your physical well being. But increasingly we're also seeing that positioned as a, um, important for mental health, um, which I think is interesting. And I think it shows the way that, mental health is becoming one of the higher priorities in terms of, of health and wellness uh, culturally at this point. It's something that is, has been uh, a trend that continues to grow. Um, Cause I think even now, if you look at like brain FM or calm or, you know, even headspace, they all have sleep tracks. Um, notably uh, slumber group has an entire podcast dedicated to sleep called get sleepy. And I'm in direct competition with them with my own personal podcast that I started in quarantine called T's and Z's where I read terms and conditions to help people fall asleep at night. Now, I know it sounds wild, but it is it works. It's the most boring thing I can think of on the internet. So, Sean, Adam, if you have some difficulty sleeping, uh, by all means, you can listen to this beautiful voice, read the entire Twitter Terms of Service uh, as a way to help you fall asleep. Um, but I want to wrap up the show just with some brand takeaways here. So, Sean, like looking through all of our conversation today, you know, what are some key brand takeaways uh, that our brand should be thinking about as we look at technology's impact on mental health? probably seems a little bit indirect, but I think that the main takeaway is that, or one big takeaway for a brand is that you don't want to be contributing to the problem. So so brands need to find ways to avoid creating more anxieties or more stressed, stress-inducing conditions for consumers and being more empathetic um, to, to these times and, and what we're dealing with. So no doubt there will be long-term mental health repercussions that are not yet known as a result of, of quarantine and COVID. And it's important to keep that in mind. So I think one of the first things that every, every brand can think about is having a customer first marketing approach. We saw this very early on during the pandemic where um, saw a lot of brands pivoting to do new things, whether it's creating PPE um, or um, offering a new sort of service. So I think they need to keep that trend alive. Um, and uh, empathy should be carried out in, in the core of that brand messaging. It should be less about selling and more about supporting. Um, and creating a proper infrastructure around uh, that customer service and support component. Um, the next thing I would say is obviously our behaviors have changed pretty rapidly and we've all moved online um, and we're very accustomed to our digital tools now. So brands need to figure out how to transition their products online um, and they need to make that as frictionless as possible um and and a great experience so adapting their product and services to digital models and and thoughtfully creating that uh user experience and, and design um you know bearing in mind there are a lot of people now in in uh not as digitally literate communities who are going to be accessing these tools that's particularly important for mental health um so making it easy to use and inform and, and function um and then the last thing that I think brands can consider, it's not for all of them, is, is creating wellness as, as a value proposition. So 
while mental health can definitely be a tricky topic to broach and you shouldn't broach it lightly, um, it could serve brands to incorporate some sort of wellness component into their offering. So we talked about Snap making the here for you, Pinterest with their compassionate search. Um, so there are opportunities to acknowledge this and be there for your consumers, um, especially when you have these high engagement community centric models. So, and it's a, it's a great way to um, spread that information and spread that kind of wellness culture, um, but you just have to do it thoughtfully. All right, Sean. Well, that that was fantastic. I think you hit all the the big points there. So, um, thank you so much for coming on Floor Nine this week uh, and discussing technology's impact on mental health with us. Uh, and for all of our listeners, uh, remember, please uh, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It'll take you one to two minutes. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. And we'll be talking to everybody next week. 